Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. God, we are stepping into some deep water, and we just ask that you would carry us. And uh, we ask that uh, you would cause what you intended to be heard from this text to be heard, and pray that it would be unifying, that it would be edifying, and that it would be for the good of our body. And uh, so we just entrust it to you, ask that you would uh, help us to, to hear, to receive, and to uh, act, act appropriately to what you have to say to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Well, if you're familiar with the letter to the Corinthians, you know that the Corinthians was a troubled church. It was a church that was shot through with divisions, and you can see it uh, from the opening of the book. I mean, even in, in chapter 3, he says there, Paul says, there are divisions among you. I've heard it from Chloe's people. Some of you say that I am of Paul, and some of you are saying that I am of Apollos, and some of you are saying that I am of Peter. And uh, they, were, they were creating fan clubs for the apostles at the church of Corinth. And there, there was division between them. And then in chapter 5, we find out that there's uh, a man who's in gross sexual immorality. He's got his father's wife as his own wife, and the church has not done anything about it. They've not kicked the man out. Of the of their excommunicated him, if you will, they haven't exercised appropriate church discipline for this man who's in unrepentant sin. And then in chapter six, we see that they're going. Corinthians are taking one another to court before unbelievers and bringing a reproach against the church. Uh, chapter seven, apparently, there's some controversies about uh, marriage and whether or not it's good for a person to marry or not. Uh, chapters eight. 9, 10, there's controversy over eating meat sacrificed to idols. The uh, Corinthians were uh, partaking uh, in pagan feasts without regard for people with weaker consciences and what it might be communicating to, to younger Christians. On and on it goes. And then we get to chapter 12 through 14, and apparently there's a division in the church regarding spiritual gifts. Specifically, uh, it appears that some of the church members were emphasizing that certain spectacular manifestations of the Spirit, especially the gift of tongues, uh, was a sign of being a truly spiritual person. And in doing so, they were creating a church culture where some were being regarded as spiritual haves and some were being regarded as spiritual have-nots. They were creating a two-tier Christianity that was creating division in the church. They were treating some Christians as second class uh, because they had not experienced this. So it's easy to see how that would create division in the body. So to correct this error, the Apostle Paul begins by describing how God has created the body of Christ to function as a single unified organism with many different parts that perform different functions. And so he starts off the chapter by saying, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, this word gifts in verse 1, I've got it highlighted and italicized. In some translations, they italicize words that have been supplied by the translators. And so, it should be italicized if it's not, because it doesn't appear in the original text. The word translated spiritual is this word, 
Now, some of you are going to like being told about the Greek. Some of you are not. If you if you do, great. If you don't, just hold on, and we'll pretend like it never happened here in a few minutes. Uh, but the word tone pneumaticon uh, means the spirituals. So this is a plural form of the word. And the problem that the translators have is that this this form of the word could be masculine or it could be neuter. If the word is neuter, so so adjectives in Greek, they have gender to modify, to, to reflect whatever they're modifying. So if it's neuter, it could be referring to gifts, because the Greek word for gift is neuter, charismata. And so that's the way that most translations take it. They believe that it's charismata is the implied noun that pneumaticon is modifying. And so they, they supply gifts in there. And the reason that they think that gifts may are probably what is intended to go there is because beginning in verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And then, of course, on into chapter 14, it's clear that he's talking about spiritual gifts. And so from the context, they think that that makes the most sense. But there are others who think that it's masculine. And that what Paul means is not now, now he's not saying concerning spiritual gifts, but he's saying concerning spiritual people. And there's a pretty good reason to take it this way too, because Paul, back in chapter three, he's already introduced us to the idea of spiritual people. He says, but I brothers, in chapter three, when he starts talking about the divisions that exist in the church, he says, I brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. And so he's already introduced this contrast between what a spiritual person is like and what a carnal or fleshly person is like. And you may have gathered from the title on the the first slide that I I lean in that direction. I think that Paul a better a better way to take it is now concerning <coughs> spiritual people, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. Although Paul does go on to tell us a whole lot about spiritual gifts, there's no doubt that that's, that's a major part of what he's talking about. He's, he's wanting to reframe how the church thinks about spiritual gifts. But beyond that, his, really his main focus is about what makes a person spiritual. Why, what is it that makes a person a spiritual person? Uh, when, when the Apostle Paul uses the word spiritual, he is thinking about the Holy Spirit. In 21st century America... We live in a sort of naturalistic worldview, and when we think about the word spiritual, we tend to think about it in contrast to what? Physical, right? It's either spiritual or it's physical. But the Apostle Paul is not thinking that way. When he says spiritual, he means that which is characterized and influenced by the Holy Spirit. And I'll give you an example. In chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, when the Apostle Paul talks about after the resurrection... He says that we are going to, we are going to have bodies that are spiritual bodies. And they're going to be the bodies like Jesus had. Okay, but Jesus' body, his resurrection body, was not a intangible body. It was a physical body. He he cooked fish on the beach and he ate fish. And he they were his disciples were able to touch his hands and they were able to put their hand in his side. And so just because Jesus had a resurrected body did not mean that it was not a physical body. But he had a body that was characterized and influenced by the Spirit's work in glorification. 
And so when Paul talks about us having glorified spiritual bodies, he means we're going to have resurrected bodies that have been thoroughly transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And I, that's kind of a big shift for us in the 21st century because we do tend to put spiritual and physical as opposites. But to understand what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, we got to get that dichotomy out of our head. So whenever he says something is spiritual, a spiritual person, he means someone who is characterized and influenced in a noticeable way by the Holy Spirit. So I think it should be, now concerning spiritual people, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. And what's the first thing that he says that characterizes a person who's influenced by the Holy Spirit? He says that they demonstrate humble submission to Jesus as Lord. The first thing, the primary thing that a spiritual person does is that they confess the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So he says in chapter 12, he says, Concerning spiritual people, I don't want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, when you were unspiritual people, when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so it's interesting, the first thing that he has to say about what marks a spiritual person is that he contrasts it with their old way of life. When you were an unspiritual person, you were led to these idols who had no capacity to speak. He, call, he calls the idols mute idols. The idols had no capacity to speak, and they had no capacity to prompt confession. But he says the Spirit of God, a spiritual person who is characterized by the Holy Spirit, they are prompted to confess Jesus as Lord. So no one with the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so that's one of the main reasons I think that it should be translated as concerning spiritual people because he's contrasting it in that first section with what it was to be a pagan, an unspiritual person, someone who was attached to idols rather than the Spirit of God. And then in verses 4 through 6, he points us to the varieties of expression of the Spirit of God and how they all originate from the same source. He says there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but the same God. So you know who the Spirit is. Who's the Lord? The Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, God is pointing to God the Father. Paul has given us a Trinitarian formula. and he, So he says there are many different gifts given to the church, but these many different gifts have a single source, which is the triune God. This is interesting to me because he's he's showing us that God in himself demonstrates unity, there's only one God, and diversity. There are three distinct persons in the Godhead, and yet they are one God. We can't wrap our brains around it, but the Bible says it's so. And so he presents this Trinitarian formula to show us that this this unity and diversity that's true of the church has its source in a God who himself is unified and diverse. And then in verse 7 he says that there are many different gifts given to the church, 
but they all have a single purpose. He says it's for the common good. Verse 7, he says, To each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit, but this manifestation is for the common good. Yeah. And then he goes on to give us some more diversity. He says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. I'm in verse 8. And to another, a word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But listen to verse 11. He says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. And so all of these gifts have a common source, and all of these gifts have a common purpose. And so Paul tells us that what characterizes a spiritual person is a humble recognition of God as giver. And he hasn't developed this yet. He'll develop develop it more in chapter 14. But there's no gift that a person receives that they didn't receive from God. And so we recognize that God is a giver, and we maintain a humble posture of gift receivers. Throughout his writings, Paul is adamant that we are receivers. We are not people, we are not self-made men and women. There's no, nothing, we have no place for boasting in any of our gifts, in any of our abilities. And that leads to a question, which is uh, one of the controversies related to spiritual gifts, is what what are spiritual gifts? Are they supernatural abilities that the Holy Spirit imparts to a person and that person then has control to exercise those abilities? Or are they sanctified natural abilities? Are they things that you could do before you were a Christian and then you became a Christian and the Holy Spirit baptized it and put it to use for the kingdom? Or one other view is that the spiritual gifts are primarily when, when, when the biblical authors talk about spiritual gifts, maybe they're really referring to the functions. The functions, so the person operating in that capacity and performing a, an edifying work for the church, that itself is the gift. It's not so much what the person possesses or their own ability, but it's the way that God uses them for the good of the community. That itself is the gift. So there are three, three major views for what spiritual gifts are. And during our discussion time, we'll come back to that and uh, and wrestle with that some. But whatever view you take, Paul, what Paul maintains is that spiritual people humbly recognize that all the gifts that they have, they have received from God. And they don't pride themselves in it or boast in it. And then finally, in uh, verses 12 through 31, spiritual people are characterized by a humble respect for every member's contribution as a gift from God. So it follows if I'm not responsible for my the gifts that I have, then I have no place for being proud in myself for those gifts. And if I know that whatever gift another person is exercising is something that God has given to the church through that person then I need to have a healthy respect. To disregard the gift of someone else is to disregard God's work in the church. And so we need to have a humble respect for every member's contribution. 
begin in uh, verse 12. He says, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. So you get that? I'm going to read that again. For even as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, they are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored... All the members rejoice with it. So he says, we're not all one member. We're not all feet. What could that accomplish? Some awkward foot clapping? We're not all one member. Where's that guy going to go by himself? So he says, diversity is essential to proper functioning. The body can't get anything done if it's all just one member. And so we can't be uh, myopically focused on one function. I thought about this too. I used to work when I was uh, just out of high school. I worked in a machine shop. Had to work with drill presses and uh, what do they call those uh, brakes, where you bring the thing down to break a to bend big pieces of metal. Working on drill presses and stuff when the little shavings of metal are coming out, and you know, I didn't go out there with no gloves on, working with that, driving that drill press into the to the metal and you know I made sure if I was going to go messing with that metal flying around I made sure I had some gloves on I took care of the members of my body even though they're the 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 smaller and maybe seeming less important but my brain knows that I I want to keep these guys for a while and so I need to make sure that I'm doing what I got to do to take care of them so that I can take care of them so I'm I'm taking extra care to make sure that those I don't think much about my hands but I know that I'm going to need them. And so I do what I need to do to take care of them. I give them more honor, if you will. I've got a good friend who, uh, Terry and I used to live, be neighbors with him at Live Oak and he, he, uh, he's a maintenance guy and he lost like two or three fingers. I can't remember, but he plays guitar. And, uh, and he plays, he'll, he'll do these Facebook videos. And you know, with his, his limitations, I think his missing fingers are on this hand, you know, and so, so basically he can, he can pretty much only do single note melodies, yeah. you know, and so make some beautiful music. I'm encouraged by what he does, 
Um, but he would tell you himself that he's limited because he's missing some members. That's you know. Like no arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so it's a, it's amazing how people can can overcome adversity. Uh, but there's no denying that they're they're a bit limited. And so then in 27 he says, "Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it." And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. And then he says this, he says, All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? And of course, the the, retor- the implied answer to all of those questions is what? No. They don't, they're not all apostles. They're not all prophets. They don't all speak with tongues. And then he says this. He says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. And so he tells us clearly that desire the greater gifts. And he, he in chapter 14, he's going to explicitly tell us what the greater gifts are. His focus is on what gifts edify the body. What gifts make for building up the body for the common good. A spiritual person is characterized by selfless service and a desire to use their gifts for the good of the body. And we'll talk a lot more about that in chapter 14. My purpose tonight is really to kind of frame the issue in a way so that we're seeing that as Paul is talking about spiritual gifts, his his main focus, spiritual gifts, are we might say, are the occasion but his purpose is really about reframing the Corinthians' perspective on what makes a spiritual purpose person. And in chapter 13, which we're going to look at next week, he says, and I show you a still more excellent way. And he's going to talk about love as the characteristic above all other characteristics that mark a person as a spiritual person. And so just to summarize... Uh, so a spiritual person, according to Paul, is characterized by humble submission to Jesus as Lord. The Spirit compels confession that Jesus is Lord. I don't know that we fully appreciate the importance of that. Again, we don't live in a monarchy. We don't live under a king called Caesar who claims all authority over all of our life. The Christian confession that Jesus is Lord was 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 the anti-Caesar confession. It was a confession that Caesar is not Lord of our lives, but there is only one Lord that we that we submit to. And Paul says that it's the Spirit that brings this confession out. It's the Spirit that gives us the courage to stand against all the authorities that want to claim our allegiance in life. It's the Spirit who compels us to say that Jesus is the only one that we obey. He's the only one we follow. And then the humble recognition of God as giver, the humble posture of gift receiver. And so this shuts out any possibility that we could be proud of our gifts. We can rejoice in our gifts. We can rejoice in in God enabling us to serve the body, uh, but we should never be proud in it. And we should always have the posture of gift receivers. I've been I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I'm reading a book right now about uh, interpreting Scripture with the Great Tradition is the name of the book. And uh, in the book, they it talks about how we are 
by nature we're creatures that were made to be dependent and so we're always passive so when we even when we come to scripture to hear the words of god we're we're intended to receive we're not intended to come and be to actively in, import our own meanings and our own ideas into scripture but we just come to hear from god and to hear what it is that he has to say for, to us so we're we're made to be dependent on god totally dependent on god and we we receive from him the gifts that he has for us and it says that he gives gifts according to his will and third we have a it calls us to have a humble respect being a spiritual person means having a humble respect for every member's contribution as a gift in, uh, from God. And respect may be too soft of a word. I think I almost wanted to put the word reverence, where when we, when we see people operating in their giftedness, when we see people contributing to the body, that we're seeing a work of the Holy Spirit, we're seeing a work of God in our midst, and we need to have a sense of reverence for that, and to not despise it no matter how small of a contribution it may be.